Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the VLGA Connect Governance Update, brought to you with thanks to our good friends, in fact our very good friends, at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers and Tony Raddick. Good to see you. Thank you. Great to see you too, Steve. And I didn't have to travel far for this for this session, did I? No, this is a special broadcast from um, the offices of Hunt and Hunt Lawyers because someone's missing. There is. Our good friend Chris Eddy, I think, is missing from this podcast. Well, he's over on a um, secret overseas sabbatical and we oh. can't say where he is except... Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> I think we'll leave Chris right there. We're well, in Hawaii with um, Elvis and the Blue Hawaii team, eh? That's a, that's, didn't you say that's the extent of your knowledge? It is the absolute about. extent of my knowledge of Hawaii and, and Honolulu, etc. Well, Chris may, may regard you. So um, let's move on, um, Tony. I think we better. I think we better. How's. Um, um, in fact, let's go back two weeks and we can talk mm. about what we've been doing because I want to I want to talk firstly about um, about my week and um, and that was the fact that Sarah Sarah Ray from Justicia Lawyers and I mm. did a session at Macedon Rangers Council and you and I that was about um, uh, better disagreements, better teams, and good conflict. And you and I did a session at Macedon Rangers Council a week ago on the week before on governance. Really turned on the uh, the 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 Macedon Rangers weather for us, I think, on the day. It was a lovely um, session I was involved in um, at Gisborne with um, Bernie O'Sullivan and the uh, the councillor team. It was it was really positive. Well, I would say to you, Tony, the um, the warm reception and the and the and the really hospitable environment with the councillor and the executive group was sort of um, contrary to the to the weather we'd expect. Now you want to talk about sport though and you want to talk about my football team. I do. Um, I, I do know that you barracked for that club um, Essendon which has been in the news a little this week Steve. Um, not sure for the for the best of reasons but um, how, how do you feel about it as an Essendon oh, supporter? I think the Bombers are the good governance gift that keeps giving you <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah where do you want to start? Well of course we're, we're talking about the short-lived appointment of um, their uh, latest CEO, the Mr. latest Mr. Thorburn, Andrew Thorburn, um, which I think lasted for all of was it 24 hours? It Steve? was about 24 hours, Tony. And there are a few um, there are a few lessons in that appointment and uh, the unappointment, not only in terms of CEOs, but more generally in relation to good governance. Where would you like to start? Well, well, um, I think that the process. For the appointment of Mr. Thorburn probably raises a few issues, issues that are relevant to, to councils and local, you know, local governments, public service generally as well, I think. Um, I did hear that Mr. Thorburn had some involvement in the initial process for appointment. Well, the story was that, um, that he'd been on the selection committee and then at, at some point after that process commenced, it was 
identified that he may well be an effective candidate, so he withdrew from the selection committee and became the candidate. Mm, mm. Uh, look, I, I don't think it's a good look. Um, I think the idea of um, you know a candidate um, being involved in the formulation of potentially the the questions, the the formulation of the process, maybe even the the selection criteria and the weighting criteria would be problematic from my perspective in terms of um, conflicts of interest. I know that we're, um, we're often involved in um, uh, training and um, uh, updates for local governments in relation to how they handle conflicts of interest. And one of the concerns would be for you know, uh, an individual to have been involved in, say, preparing the tender specifications or the reasons for um, council to maybe need this particular procurement and then saying, hey, now I'm going to participate as um, a, a potential contractor or a candidate for that um, procurement process, that to me would say, hey, um, would suggest that, that you know, they've got an inside running, they've got some um, um, inside knowledge of the process. Um, that, I think, from a reasonable person's perspective, we'd say that they might have an advantage potentially over um, other candidates for the appointment. And um, one wonders just what might have happened here um, at Essendon to um, end up in this situation. You know this conversation's paining me, Tony, but <laughs> I, I agree completely. For me, it just beggared belief that the people on the uh, CEO selection panel hadn't signed uh, signed their rights away, if you like, to be involved um, as candidates in the same way that I know, and I presume you've prepared mm. contracts mm. when when a council is doing a piece of work regarding the specification or the evaluation of a need for a service, mm. that the successful or that the tenderers are required to sign away their right to participate in the next tender. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I, I just think it's, um, from, from that position that we take that um, no particular candidate who should have um, inside knowledge, um, a, a starting advantage over other candidates um, because of some um, participation in, in the process in the lead up. And that's something I think most council procurement teams are familiar with. Yeah. Um, we often have to be careful engaging consultants who might, you know, be engaged by council to identify if there's a need for a particular procurement and sometimes those consultants can then potentially want to participate um, in the procurement and I think again as you say it's part of the engagement process to say look if you're going to um, participate in this formulative phase of the procurement then you, you need to um, sign your right away to um, be a candidate. Yeah, and now the next part, we don't need to dwell on it for too long, Tony, because I presume at no point in any interview would you ask a candidate what their religion is. No. But you might have a conversation about whether in the way that they operate mm. or in doing your due diligence, satisfy yourself that you could, that your candidate would, um, I guess, be able to meet the, um, the values and behaviours expected of the club. Absolutely. I think most organisations... Um, particularly organisations with a real public face to them, like a football club, like a council potentially, um, would um, want to ask a, a candidate for a senior role, 
do they share some of those core values? Um, and um, uh, you know, is there any concern that they might um, might have in being able to support some of those values? Mm. Um, and don't know if that happened. In well, this no, and it's unusual because normally you would look at the at the values and behaviours of the candidate to make sure that they're an appropriate match, and then start looking at the skills. Um, and it seems really odd that after only 24 hours, the, it was decided that Mr Thorburn didn't share the values, which perhaps should have been asked earlier. Can I just pass, um, say in passing, Tony, that um, Jared McLaughlin from Davidson's made a really um, pertinent tweet to all of, uh, post to all of this on his LinkedIn, and there was a, some really good commentary. I liked it because I agreed with most of it. <laughs> um, coming back, that's um, that's really worth a read there, um, including something from Mark. Good Perrett. stuff. Well done. Yeah, um, and just one other thing, because you know this conversation's paining me. Um, uh, the uh, the commentary by board member Kevin Sheedy um, in the previous week. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. So this is one of those scenarios where you know when when a when a board or a group, even a group of councillors you know make a decision, um, um, and and for someone to then come out subsequently and saying saying well I, I didn't share that view I wasn't part of that decision and actually nominate. That they were, um, you know, a, a, a dissenting voice is is a bit unusual in this sort of appointment. Well, and just to go back a step, so this is that Kevin Sheedy, when the club had said in a public statement that the appointment of Brad Scott as coach had been fully endorsed, mm. Kevin Sheedy then said, "Well, it wasn't because I supported James Hurd." Um, and normally, you would think that would almost be a career killer on that particular board for a board member to be so outspoken about a decision that they didn't agree with, particularly where a club is, you know, purporting to look for unity. Yeah, yeah. Look, I would have thought that as one of the values of that board would be that we, we do, once we do make a decision, then we don't go out publicly and um, are critical of the, the board decision. That's certainly a typical position with um, most public companies, private companies even, and, and certainly, um, you know, um, representative organisations like council. Like council. So, so, I'm not sure what Sheed was thinking there. No, I think he, he wasn't having his best day, but um, it's a gift, again, to the governance update because I'm sure it won't happen very often, but if there are any examples in future of councillors, presumably interstate councillors, um, being critical of a council decision, we will now call that a Sheedy. <laughs> You had to um, wag the lesson in. Somewhere. Oh, no, yeah. I'm looking forward to doing it for better reasons. Now, um, in terms of uh, your week, Tony, you've been out to Wyndham? Yes. Uh, well, I actually did, did an online session this morning with um, Wyndham staff. On um, It's a regular one I do, um, normally monthly. Um, um, Martina Simpkin in the governance team organises it, and uh, it's on conflicts of interest. So we do a regular... Um, catch up with new new staff um, and a reminder for staff who haven't done it for a couple of years on the conflict of interest provisions, which of course have changed somewhat since mm. under the 2020 Act to the 89 Act. A really good session, um, lots of good questions and um, quite engaging bunch of people from a variety of positions on council. And you had an interesting stat about the uh, the you know, the place Wind of residence of yeah. Wyndham staff. It's really interesting. Um, Wyndham, um, and if anyone from Wyndham's um, listening, I'm sure you're aware of this, Wyndham's one of those councils where a very large proportion of the council staff actually reside within the municipality of Wyndham, which 
is a great thing, um, you know, returning money into the community in terms of salary and the knowledge of the community those staff have. Where it becomes relevant in a conflict of interest sense, of course, is that if you live in an area, if you participate in an area with your spouse and maybe your children and your family, you'll have all those connections, the likelihood of potentially um, having conflicts of interest um, can, can, can grow. So um, an example might be where you're you know, involved in the children's netball team, you might become the president or the secretary, that might become a relevant conflict of interest in your dealings with the netball club on council. So we had a really good discussion about that. And it's not just relevant um, in Wyndham, of course, in a lot of the rural and regional councils, mm. it's even more likely to occur. Yeah, if we don't talk about it, um, mm. then it becomes a higher risk. Mm. Now, you were also interested this week in the appointment of Australia's newest High Court judge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, congratulations and well done to Justice Jago. So Jane Jago, um, formerly a uh, federal court judge, formerly New South Wales Land and Environment Court judge, has been appointed to the High Court. Um, but what perhaps is even momentous about that is that this is the first time in the history of the High Court that we see a majority of females sitting on that bench. So the High Court um, was established in 1903. Um, it was solely consisted of male judges right through until 1987 when Mary Gordon was the first female appointment to the board and now here we are in 2022 with um, a majority of females um, are, are making up the bench. I just think it's, um, it's a really momentous point in time for, for the High Court. Now there's two things that came out of that Tony that in our little chat we had before that you wanted to mention. And yeah. And one was the, uh, which we probably don't need to dig in, but the bipartisan support for um, Her Honour. Is, mm. is it High Court Judge Her Honour? Yes, she is Her Honour. Her Honour, mm. Her Honour Justice Jago, the, the bipartisan support for that appointment. But the other thing is, and you could have knocked me down with a feather, <laughs> you wanted to quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I did, I did. So, of course, um, virtually everyone out there will know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, but really eminent jurist in on the long-term... Um, appointee to the Supreme Court of the United States um, and um, of course when she was appointed as the first woman appointed to that that court um, she was often asked the question well you know um, how many women should there be on the Supreme Court you know when will when will um, it be enough and um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's response was well w of course when there are all females on the US Supreme Court and um, Often people in the media and commentators would say, well, that's a bit strange. Um, you know, why should we have an all-female Supreme Court? Which is, of course, what Ru where Ruth was driving here, because she would say, well, we've had an all-male Supreme Court for, yeah. for about 100 years. And, and no one what, batted an eyelid. No one batted an eyelid. So, so why would you bat an eyelid if we had an all-female yeah. um, uh, Supreme Court, or indeed High Court in Australia? So it's about, um, of course, the... the the appointing the um, most qualified, the right person, and as you say, um, Jane Jago is um, um, universally lauded as um, someone. I believe that the previous Attorney General Christian Porter had her on his short list of potential appointments, and um, great to see her join that that bench. Right now. Uh, could not agree more. A couple of um, legal matters we'll go mm. to. We're going to jump around a little bit yeah. here too. 
Really quickly, Tony, we've heard from our very good source um, at the Yarra City Council that police charges against Councillor Anab Muhammad uh, have been dropped. Mm. Uh, no case to answer, therefore. Yeah, look, look, I, and I think this is a, a case where we've, the, the process, the right process has been followed. Um, we're all equal before the law and um, considered um, innocent until, until proven guilty. Um, in, in a country like Australia and um, it's just I think it's a reminder for all of us not to you know jump into the conversation early and suggest that people should step down or or are unfit for office when yeah. the process hasn't it's been followed. Its course. Yeah. And, and the only person I suppose in a sense of accountability who might make that call um, is the inspectorate mm. like government inspector and the local government act and they will go through their their steps and we've talked about that Speaking of then matters legal, um, there was an announcement this week or a decision this week in regard to a defamation matter involving Councillor Cam Howe at um, Kingston Council and an organisation called Cavendish. At Cavendish Properties, yeah. So, so this was a, um, it's a county court proceeding um, that was, um, so proceedings brought against Councillor Cameron Howe um, in in the tort of defamation, and then there was a counterclaim um, by Councillor Howe um, against um, a, a, against some people at Cavendish Properties. What this related to was a Facebook page that um, Councillor Howe hosted. Um, Actually, Tony, can we get mm. if anyone doesn't know about mm. this, we'd better grab their attention. Yeah. The quantum of the award against Councillor Howe. $205,000, right. so quite a large award. There was a, a, a smaller award in Councillor House favour, I think 15000 but certainly a really substantial award. And, and, and to be fair, um, the matter is still the subject of um, consideration by the parties. Um, I believe Councillor House considering um, whether there are opportunities for appeal. Um, but yeah, really, um, so, enormous personal implications yeah. when there's such a high award. And, and now I cut you off, but mm. you, you were starting yeah. to talk about the implications for people that are potentially like you know hosting or administrators of social media pages yeah. and and um, yeah, even like, no matter where this goes, mm. uh, what some of those lessons might be. Yeah. So this was um, a Facebook page hosted by Councillor Howe called the Camera uh, called the sorry the Carum and Patterson Lakes Forum. And so the comments in question weren't comments made by Councillor Howe, they were comments made by third parties on the Facebook page um, that were found to be defamatory of um, Cavendish or individuals if, at that organisation. If we can be frank, Tony, mm. the, the comments were suggesting corrupt conduct. They, that, certainly that's what the court, court found, that they were suggestive of that, and that's certainly why the... Um, one of the reasons why the plaintiff um, said they brought the action. But I think the implications more broadly in local government are really for um, individual councillors and also councils themselves in terms of hosting social media pages. What is their liability in relation to third party comments? Um, what level of monitoring what they have, mm. um, you know, is that real-time monitoring? Because you know, if you if someone makes a potentially defamatory comment and it sits there for twenty-four hours, 
before council realise or it's done on a weekend and, you know, the officer comes in on the Monday. Or, and, and presumably, what's the briefing given? You know, what, at what level of expertise is the officer? Are they aware of the potential yeah. risk? Uh, what writing instructions are given to the officer about um, deleting or blocking particular comments? Because that can get um, a bit of aggravation and sort of needs to be well supported. Um, by the organisation, presumably. Yeah. So, so again, look, this is a, a matter that is, you know, um, still potentially subject to appeal. But I, I, I would say, you know, serious implications. Um, um, you know, far be it for me to, you know, question the decision of the county court. But I certainly feel for the councillor in question, who, again, they weren't that councillor's comments; they were third parties' comments. And I am aware that. Um, the Commonwealth Government and states and territory governments are or have recently been considering ought there be a, a defence for hosts of social media pages where it's a, an, an innocent dissemination type mm. um, defence, potentially where the administrator um, ought to have uh, an easy accessible complaints procedure and um, and there should be a process where someone who's aggrieved complains and then you, you re can remove yeah. the item. And that, if you follow that process and it's a defensible process, then then you are protected from this tort of defamation. Yeah, yeah. and look, a couple of things on that. This occurred, um, as I understand, Tony, before Councillor Howe was in fact elected to Correct. council. Yeah. Um, 2019, that's right. Yeah. So, of course, Tony, it begs another question of how should we, you know, how should we treat um, any sort of allegation of corrupt conduct? Yeah, well, I think that um, people have to be very careful in making yeah. allegations of corrupt, com corrupt conduct that, um, that, be a, that they're, they're not the judge and jury. You know, yeah. we have a process in Australia and if you go out in, in some public forum on social media or some other forum and make that allegation, you know, be prepared potentially for, you know, uh, consequences in defamation mm. um, if ultimately um, there's no court no. proceeding that, that says there, there corrupt, was corrupt conduct. Corrupt conduct. Um, and isn't the other thing that if there is an investigation on foot, um, it's not helped by public commentary? No, absolutely. Just muddies the waters and, yeah. and, and yeah, makes it worse. Yeah. Um, now, one last one, and I know people that were listening um, last week are really waiting for this, and this is the Dorset Council in Tasmania and the waste charge um, in relation to Airbnbs, which I think proposed an increase from about 900 to about $3,000, Yeah, $3,020. Um, so I've done a bit of research on this one, Steve. Um, once I worked out that we weren't talking about Bournemouth in England and it wasn't that Dawson, well I found the right council in Tassie. And, um, and yes, um, the proposition uh, there is that um, Dorset Shire Council has increased their annual waste charges by over 200% for short-stay accommodation. According to the ABC reports, there is a legal challenge on to this, and that'll be interesting to see. The Mayor has come out in the media and essentially blamed the Tasmanian Office of the Value of General because um, the Office of the Value of General there is um, 
refusing to classify short stay accommodation as commercial and insisting that you know it would be classified as residential. It's understandable that there's some real difficulties here. Um, we have these difficulties in Victoria with short stay accommodation. Um, in our various planning schemes, um, mm. there's different treatments of, um, of short stay accommodation. Typically, um, if it's a, you know, an occupier who's, uh, who's offering short stay accommodation for other people to come into their home, that wouldn't need a planning permit in a residential zone. It would just be all. residential. And my understanding is over a long period of time, the Planning and Environment Act or the interpretation mm. has been that from time to time, owners of houses will mm. um, either um, let out their properties or invite guests in mm. for a fee. And, and of course, you know, just having a purely an investment property that is, that is rented out for um, for 12 months or more, um, there might be tax consequences, but there aren't typically rating consequences. So, um, and I think part of the probably the problem here is that it's it's very difficult for councils to know that there is short stay accommodation taking place. Well, doesn't it sort of go back to to the purpose and the fairness of of the proposal by the council. I'm presuming, Tony, that they've got extensive information about how much more waste is generated by these uh, properties. I, and, and yeah, that's that's interesting. I think that that might well get a run in the court. Um, this issue is, you know, is it fair that um, that short stay accommodations pay more for waste charges? Are there tip is there typically more waste? Now, I guess if my my 21 year old daughter and all her friends booked somewhere for Airbnb, they're Probably there might be a few extra bottles in the in the recycling that week, but I don't know if it was you and your lovely Folk, wife, Steve. Well, folks like us, Tony. <laughs> Maybe so, above the red. So if we're if we're skipping around that issue, getting a rezone or getting a sorry a different classification under the um, Valuation of Land Act could be problematic. Problematic, you're saying. Hmm. Um, I'm sort of hearing you say there's been a lot of reports in the ABC regarding this matter, mm. but as yet there's been nothing at court and we're probably waiting on someone to launch a challenge and see where yeah, that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this will be watched closely by the sector across the country, frankly, because there clearly is some angst in the community about um, the amenity impact of short-stay accommodation, but whether um, it will be remain to be seen whether this particular um, you know additional levy of waste charges is going to prove effective out of Dorset yeah yeah so we're, we're watching this space and our listener will hold us to account for that <laughs> they will <laughs> okay Tony we have probably done our romp around the governance landscape for this week I reckon we have um, what's on for next week it's another busy week actually oh. Steve um, so we do have the LG Pro social media conference, and I'm delighted, so I'm going to share a platform with Councillor Amy Johnson, the Deputy Mayor of the City of Ballarat. She and I are presenting a session on the implications and the risks of social media on Thursday next week. So that, that ought to be fun. That'll be good. I'm just wondering if Ballarat's some sort of epicentre, but... I'm surely not, um, knowing your background. Uh, now, what I can say, Tony, is that, yeah, get along, for anyone in LG Pro, get along to mm. them. That sounds really interesting. Um, as far as the VLGA is concerned, and I touched on this previously, the um, 
the session that we've got coming up on the role of Mayor Watts to know mm -hmm. on the 28th of October. Put that in your diaries. We have locked in Ian McCormick, our good friend mm. uh, from Alberta, Canada, mm. who's written the book. Yes. And Leanna Thompson, who is not only a experienced CEO, but also a former mayor mm. to talk on the topic. And we think we'll have one more person that we're just finalising at the moment, Tony. So 28th. Watch that day, yeah. So, um, Tony, that brings us to a close. Thanks for the opportunity to actually have you as a guest as well as a sponsor. Oh, I, look, I hope we haven't ruined it for Chris when he gets back. And uh, it's caused, caused no damage <laughs> is the first thing to do. And I'm sorry, Chris, if I have. Oh, no, well, it'll, I can just imagine Chris saying, well, here's another fine mess you've gotten us into. I'll clean this up. Um, to everyone, thanks for watching. It is on my script. Thanks again to our sponsors at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers um, and also for their hospitality. And hopefully we'll see you again next week. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Thank you.